varied issues and needs. Well, this afternoon, open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of John, and I will tell you from the beginning, much of what we will be looking at the rest of this week will be in the book of John. Because also, although the Lord Jesus Christ is the fullness of this book, I have found that John draws attention to what we have in Christ much more than much anyone else. If you disagree with that, that's fine. But I, I found I really enjoy the book of John. But in John chapter 1, turn your attention to verse 10. And I'll read down to it, including verse 13. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Our fathers, we continue this afternoon in your word and in fellowship one with another. May we do it with sincere and true hearts, desiring to worship, to praise, and to please you. Give our bodies the strength and our mind the clearness that is needful to focus the attention upon your word, upon your son, and upon all that we have in him. But may we be slow to take any credit or take any honor, but quick to give all honor and all praise unto you, our Father. For Christ's sake, amen. Note, if you would, in verse 10, as we begin, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He made the world, and the world did not recognize him. Is that any different than today? I like to watch on television... Channels like Smithsonian, National uh, Geographics. And not once have I heard any one of those programs declare that God and Christ created the world. They talk about these things called time and chance. A whole lot of time and a whole lot of chances. That's how the world came. John chapter 1 and verse 10 says the world was made by him. The book Colossians tells us not anything was made that was made that he didn't make. But the world knew him not. For the sake of discussion this afternoon, let us let us kind of consider what all that means. He made the world. He was in the world. 
The world received, perceived, understood him not. You know, wasn't this enough that Christ made the world? But he actually, for a period of time, stepped out of glory and walked on the earth. And while he walked on the earth, they did not perceive him. They didn't understand who he was. They really didn't seem to care much who he was. And in fact, the more he was with them, the more they wanted to get rid of him. The world just has very little time for the person of Christ. The world, for the most part, would, I believe, if they could, erase Christ from the minds and the hearts of everyone. But it seems that instead of just erasing the mind, erasing Christ from the mind of the world, it seems to be sufficient to the world just to kind of give him token recognition certain times of the year, certain days, certain purposes, but really to give him some glory and honor that's not done. I'm going to read Romans chapter 1, verse 19 through 22 quickly. Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so fair without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. They knew him not. Verse 21, because when they knew him, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain. They looked at creation. They looked at all the glories of heaven and the glories of earth. And with their dark hearts, they became vain. They became empty. You know, as bad as that was for the world at large, still verse 11 of John chapter 1 tells us that he came unto his own. He came unto his own people. He came unto his own and his own received him not. It's bad enough that the Gentile nations did not receive, did not recognize, did not understand who the Lord Jesus Christ was. But of his own nation, the children of Israel, they not only did not receive him, they did not only not understand him, 
they actively rejected him. The last few chapters of the book of John, you'll find that they were very active in wanting to have him crucified. Get him out from among us. We really want no parts of him. In the book of John, look at chapter 6, if you will, for just a moment. John chapter 6, verse 10 through 14. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down. And the numbers, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. And the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise the fishes, as much as they would. When they had filled, when they were filled, he said unto the, unto the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered, the, gathered them together, filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. That prophet. Then verse 15, Then when the Jews therefore perceived, or when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again in the mountains himself alone. We'll find that when they did this, they really were not so much concerned about him as much as they were concerned about the miracle. More concerned about what they had received. But it really wasn't him that they were wanting. They wanted to see another miracle. They wanted to see more food, more amazing things to be done. But the Lord Jesus Christ is not fooled by any type of pretenses, any types of shows that we put on. In fact, he very well perceives and very clearly understands the things that go on in the hearts of men. I'm going to read in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, to explain what I'm saying here. In fact, I'm going to read verse 42 and 43. And he, he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which is ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth on him 
shall, shall receive remission of sin. This was declared, this was understood, this was known to the nation of Israel. But when he came, they did not receive him. They rejected him. They did not desire him. They saw nothing in him that they had any desire for. I'm afraid today we're not a whole lot different for the world is concerned. The world, if they want Christ, they want him only on the level and to the extent that's beneficial for them. The call on Christ when they're sick, when someone's in the hospital, when they're at a point that they don't know what's going to happen next. But other than that, it doesn't really mean a whole heck of a lot. Go, but go back to our text in John chapter 1, and I want us to notice something in verse 12. Understanding that when Christ came, he was sent only to the lost of Israel, only the Jew. He even told a woman that it was not meat for him to take food for the children and give to the dogs. He was sent to Israel. But when he came, they did not receive him. But in verse 12 it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. What is my point here? Look at that word, power, in verse 12. As many as received him, gave he the great blessing of being, of becoming the sons of God. That being those that believed in his name. But that word power does not mean physical ability, does not speak of strength, but it speaks of authority, it speaks of privilege, it speaks of right, it speaks of the fact that except a person believe in Christ, they are not sons and daughters, they're not Children of God. You must be given authority to be called a child of God. It is not something that you get by natural birth. It is not something that you get because someone wishes it for you. It is not something that you get because you want it. 
We are all products of God's divine plan of procreation. We are all a product of God's divine plan and the miraculousness of the human body to be able to reproduce itself. But that does not make one a child of God. You'll notice verse 13 says, which were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You do not come into being as a child of God, because your mother or your father wanted you to. You do not become a child of God at your earthly birth. You do not become a child of God. As much as I would love for my two boys to be saved at this point in time, the only thing I can say is they're child children of mine. But I can't say the children of God. Because if they have not received Christ, if they have not come unto Christ, if they have not believed upon Christ, they are not sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. I want this point to be driven home this afternoon. You cannot call yourself a child of God and deny the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't do it. You're a product of conception. You're a product of your mother and your father. But you do not have the right to call yourself a child of God. I cannot go out in the streets of Vidalia or Lyon and write speeding tickets. I cannot go out and arrest someone for committing a crime. I'm not authorized to do that. I cannot practice medicine. I'm not authorized to do that. I don't have a license that says I have been duly trained and qualified to practice medicine in the United States. I'm not authorized to do that. I cannot drive a car legally without a driver's license that has been issued to me by the state that is able to do so. The state of Missouri gave me a license to drive a car a number of years ago. And the only reason I can drive legally is because they authorized me to. Authority is very important for us to understand. Without believing in Christ, you cannot call yourself a child of God. You are not. And no one can give you hope. No one can give you security. 
No one can tell you that you are if you do not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So how is it? How do or how does one become a child of God. And I've said this already. Not by natural birth. Not by the will and desire of the flesh. Not by the decree of men. No pastor can make a child of God. He may baptize someone that makes a profession of faith in Christ. But he cannot make them a child of God. Only God does that. God enables, God allows, God empowers, God authorizes an individual to be called his child. Look, if you would, the book of 1 John, chapter 5 and verse 1. 1 John, chapter 5, and I want us to notice the first verse. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that beloved, that, that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the anointed one of God is born of God. You're not born a child of God without believing in Christ. I'm not repeating this by accident. I'm repeating this on purpose because I want it to be understood. The only way you have the authority, the only way that you have any hope, of declaring or calling yourself a child of God is by first coming by faith to Christ. Born of God. Which means it is God that makes you his child. Do you know all of your children? Those of you that have children, do you know all of them? Trust me, God knows every one of those that are his. And as Brother Paul was alluding to, in John chapter 6, all the Father gave to the Son, he's not going to lose a one. Every single person that comes to Christ in faith, God knows exactly who they are. 
God knows his children. You're not going to fool him by putting on acts of religion, by putting on pretenses of holiness. You're not going to fool God. Because he begets his children. God cannot be fooled. Go back to the book of John in chapter 2, if you would, quickly. John chapter 2, verse 23, to the end of the chapter. Now when he, being Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover... In the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. What we have here is individuals that made a profession of faith in Christ. It says, now there were in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name. Note that word believe. They believed in his name. But you will notice in verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them, Because he knew all men. Guess what? That word believe in verse 23. Repeats itself in verse 24. But repeats itself as commit. Jesus did not believe all other professions that those people made. That's why he didn't commit himself to them. He knew who those who actually believed and who did not. He did not need anyone to tell him who believed and who did not. He knew. For he knew what was in men. I say this again for you to understand. You don't fool God, you don't fool Christ with religion. You do not fool God, you do not fool Christ because you say, I want to be baptized. Baptism will not save you. You can go down in that pool back there every day that this door is open and it will not make you any more a child of God if you do not believe in Christ. Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all. You know, they put a talicized word there, men. Just leave it for Christ knows all. He knew what the real heart of those people was. He wasn't fooled. They didn't put anything past him. We don't today. Now, there are things that I may do in St. Louis that you may never see me do. 
There may be things here that you do that I will never know about. And I don't need to know. But rest assured, God does. God knows who you are. What you are. He knows whether you believe or not. You know, pastors want to see their congregations grow. Pastors want to baptize. I wish I could baptize somebody else every week. And we haven't got to baptize. I've got to find somebody to baptize them, but that's okay. I would do that. You can fool me. You can fool Paul. But you can't fool God. Religion does not save. Does not save. Three more points of scripture I want to look at before we close this afternoon. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, if you would. Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done, done many wonderful works. And then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Say what you will. Profess what you choose. Hold on to what you want to. In that day, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not come to him in faith before you close your eyes in death, is going to say to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Those are disturbing words. Because when you hear those words, there will be no room, no opportunity to go back and do it again. Because the point that the man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. And when that judgment is passed, when that decree is made, and the Lord Jesus Christ says, I never knew you, depart from me. That's all you can do from this time on is depart. Be gone. You can't come back. You can't reverse the tape. It's a done deal. Are you this afternoon a child of God? And folks, I am not here I'm not asking that question to say, well, I've been here several times and I I perceive that this, this, or this is or is not. I'm not doing that. I'm simply stating from the Word of God, if one thinks they can call themselves a child of God, and has not believed upon Christ, 
they are barking up the wrong tree. It doesn't work that way. There's some marks that we can look at that might give us some grounds or some reason for hope. I want to look at two of them this evening, this afternoon. In Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 13, down through including verse 17. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby ye cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be, that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. A few things I want you to note in these verses. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of of the body, you shall live. If your desires... If your wants, if your needs, if your thrills are derived from the flesh. And this is not necessarily the physical body, but your thought processes, your wants, your wishes. If all of these things are derived from inside of you, your person, your understanding, Your thought processes. You're going to die. You will not live. But if through the Spirit of God. You put to death the deeds of the body. You shall live. There has to be a disconnect. Between this body. And your desires. There's be a disconnect between your wants, your wishes, your thrills, the things that you enjoy. There must be a disconnect between that, those natural things, and a desire to do the things of God. Am I saying that in your life you're going to live perfectly? You're going to live sinlessly? Your thoughts are always going to be pure, snow white? No, I'm not. Because mine aren't. I guarantee you ask Paul Jackson, his are not. But the desire is, through the Spirit of God, you put those desires in their proper place. You mortify the deeds of the flesh. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Who leads you this afternoon? What leads you this afternoon? 
What motivates you this afternoon? Is it the Spirit of God? It even goes on to tell us in verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but receive the spirit of adoption, whereby ye cry, Abba, Father. As a child of God, you recognize, This is my Father. God in heaven is my Father. I have a relationship with him. My father's been dead now since 1987. I told you from the beginning, I was a daddy's boy. And I truly was. My mother would tell you that. I was always a daddy's boy. I could go to my father and I wanted to talk to him. It didn't matter what the problem was, what the issue was. And my father, as far as I know, was never saved. But as my father, I did recognize something. He was someone that was important to me. He was someone that I thought about and what I did. Do you cry, Abba, God in heaven? Do you see the maker, the creator of heaven and earth as your father? Do you say as Christ that I do always that which pleases the father? Do you desire to do that which pleases the father? If you do not, you cannot say and you do not say, Abba, Father. Then he goes on and says, verse 16, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Has the Spirit of God ever told you That you're God's child. Let that sink in for a minute. The spirit. Beareth witness. With our spirit. That we are the children of God. Do you have that assurance? Is it a part of your understanding? That the spirit of God. Touched you, touches you, stimulates you, motivates you, and tells you you are a son of God. At the end of the day, I cannot make this profession for anyone in this room but for me. At the end of the day, with all the thoughts, all the things that I may have done, at the end of the day, I know who my Father in heaven is. I can say that very clearly and very comfortably, and I don't say that bragging or boasting. I say that as a fact. Because his spirit tells me I belong to him. And he assures me of that. Which brings me to my second and last point. Hebrews chapter 12. There's a way that God shows us that we're his. Now there's a word that is used here in Hebrews 12 that we really don't care much for in the world today. It used to be a word that was used quite heavily, say 47 years ago. But in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, 
he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastening, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. That's what the scripture says. That word bastard means illegitimate. That means you're not authorized to be a son of God. You've not received the authority that Christ gives by faith in him to be one of God's children. Today it is so common and so regular for children to be born out of wedlock. God has declared and decreed childbirth, intimate contact belongs in marriage. The marriage bed is honorable among all. A marriage is honorable among all and the marriage bed undefiled. The marriage bed. Have I always believed that? No. I have not. And I'm not passing any judgment on anybody that does it now. I'm simply saying there is such a thing as an illegitimate child. And if you are not chastened of God for your correction, it may very well be an indication that you're an illegitimate child. You're not authorized to be called a child of God. For as whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you thought God's chastening, be very afraid. If God does not reach out and chasten you from time to time, be very afraid. You need to be chastened. You need correction. Oftentimes that correction is painful. But what happens when God's children are chastened, whenever they are afflicted, it doesn't drive them away from God. It drives them back to Christ. It drives them back to where they started. When God sends affliction and, and chastisement, it's often to get our attention. We've kind of taken our eyes off the of, off of where it belongs. If ye be without chastisement, Whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. What privilege do we have in Christ this afternoon? We have the privilege and the authority from God himself by coming to Christ in faith to say, I am a child of God. I may not be anything else. I may not do what my earthly father is. But that doesn't matter. If God is he that begat you, 
in the person of Christ. Are you washed? Are you sons? Are you daughters? Or are you without chastisement? If all is well with you, all the time, be careful. Now, we don't have to always know how someone is being chastened. I don't know the last time the Lord chastened Paul, um, Sam Henry. I don't know when it was. I don't need to know. Sam needs to know. Because that tells Sam God is concerned about Sam. God wants his child to come back home. Get back where you belong. Does the spirit, does the spirit of God witness with your spirit that you're his? Does he chasten you as he does those that he receives? If he does, praise God. If he doesn't, I want to warn you. You may not be the child that you think you are. Brother Paul.